Welcome to SEC Football Live. My name is Braden Gall, and you can get to me on Twitter.com at Braden Gall. Today on the show, we take a deep, deep dive into the state of Alabama. That's right, not just the Alabama Crimson Tide, but also the Auburn Tigers. Our guest is national college football writer from 24-7 Sports, Brandon Marcello. And of course, Nick Saban sent shockwaves through the entire college football world when he decided to retire. Halen DeBoer is now in as the head football coach. What does that mean for Alabama's future? What are his strengths? What are the things he needs to build up and develop to be a championship-level coach for the Crimson Tide? But it's not just Alabama. What on earth is happening with the Auburn Tigers right now? Coaching staff upheaval. What is the offense going to look like? And what are expectations for both Hugh Freeze's Auburn Tigers and Kalen DeBoer's Crimson Tide? So, a lot of fun stuff on the show. Great conversation with Brandon Marcello. If you are new, of course, to SEC Football Live, please reach down. Give us a click right there on the subscription button. We would really, really appreciate it. You can check us out on podcast form as well, SEC Football Live. And, of course, we are live on Tuesdays at 1 o'clock Eastern time right here on the YouTube page. So, no more from me. A deep dive into the state of football in Alabama, both with the Crimson Tide and with the Tigers. Here is my conversation with 24-7 Sports, Brandon Marcello. Welcome to the show, Brandon Marcello. How are you, sir? Good to see you. Welcome. Doing well. Wishing the coaching carousel would slow down, but it's not. <laughs> uh, well, Alabama did as much as possible to make it go as fast as possible for all of us. Uh, it was very kind of them. Um, well, I'm going to start with just the general state of Alabama because you have Nick Saban retiring, the greatest coach maybe in the history of all of sports. Uh, the Alabama coaching search lasting all of you know two days. You've got... Uh, you're going to have a seventh new offensive coordinator in seven years at Auburn, a fifth new defensive coordinator in fifth in five years at Auburn because they've had m m both coordinators gone for different reasons. You've had multiple position coaches resign at Auburn. Uh, you got quarterbacks transferring. You got players leaving Alabama. Even for the state of Alabama, Brandon, this feels like one of the crazier two or three weeks that we've seen in the state. Yeah, and South Alabama's head coach is going to Alabama <laughs> as a coordinator. Uh, I mean, it's insane. Uh, so I'll start with Alabama. Obviously it's, um, we all knew that day was coming, but like, even as we record this, it's been a week and it seems like it's, it doesn't seem real. Uh, we've had five head coaching changes happen just because of Nick Saban retiring that have already affected it and get this, like three of those jobs have already been filled. So in a week's time, Bama came open. Five other jobs came open. Three of those have already been filled. And the other two are going to be filled here probably by early next week. That's the nature of the business now. Everybody's got to move quickly because of the transfer portal um, and trying to re-recruit your own roster. Because once a coach gets fired, the portal opens up immediately for those teams for 30 days for any player to leave if they want. And you got to get a head coach in there quickly to try and calm down the waters a little bit. Otherwise, you're at risk of losing uh, most of your starters and look at Alabama's roster right now. I mean, they hired Kalen DeBoer in 49 hours, something like that. And they have lost a lot of players from their two deep. Well, okay. So then uh, I guess ultimately maybe my question for Auburn should just be what's happening. And should anyone be surprised that this is happening under Hugh Freeze? Not necessarily. I think there's a lot of things obviously going on there. Right. And I think that the 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 key piece to this is that Hugh Freeze, I don't think, 
hired the guys he really wanted at first. And I think he was stuck with some of the guys that were already there. Obviously, Cadillac Williams, a legend there. Whoever came in was going to have to keep him on after what he did as the interim head coach. But it it was clear even during the season that they were trying to find a way to maybe move on from him. And, um, And now he's gone. Well, you look around, you see a bunch of former Auburn guys that were in that program, uh, guys with ties to that, and now they're out. And now Hugh Freeze is bringing his guys in, Derek Nix being one of them who he wanted last year but couldn't convince to come there and then finally got him to come to to Auburn after being at Ole Miss for 16 straight years. Uh, And even Charles Kelly to a certain extent, um, someone who's an Auburn guy, but someone that Hugh really, really likes. I I think – I think the root issue here, that's how root issue, you know, I don't like, I'm not talking trash about anything. It's just the reality of it. From my understanding of it is, and I covered Auburn for eight years and lived there. Is it coaches come in and they're almost like thrust. They have people thrusted at them. Like you better hire this guy. They get like, it's peer pressure. Like you better hire this guy. You better hire this guy. And then they do it. Um, Brian Harson, even Gus Malzahn before him, um, all had to like hire guys from input. Like you better get two SEC guys on right. your roster, uh, Brian Harson, even though you are not going to meld well with any of them. And that <laughs> proved true uh, with Derek Mason and everybody. Um, and then Hugh Freeze, I think to a certain extent that that was a case too. And it just opens up this whole can of worms and realm of possibilities for all kinds of things to go wrong when things just aren't meshing well with staffs and people start going other different directions. And um, I think that's just the root cause of the issue there at Auburn is that they don't necessarily let the coaches bring in exactly who they want. And they start making them question even the guys that they want to bring in. They're like, well, maybe, you know what, maybe this Auburn guy was very, very uh, uh, clear and concise. And I believe in that Maybe I should bring in a, you know, this guy. And then, it just doesn't seemingly ever work. And then you just have this massive turnover after a year or two. Well, and all, all of them different, like, right? Like two, two guys resign, one guy's fired, one guy leaves for a job. Like it's very, even for Auburn standards, it's, it's kind of a strange and bizarre thing. But again, it's the, it's the end result. Again, it's the root cause. There's a root to it, which yeah. leads to the potential for crazy things happening behind the scenes and people making wrong decisions doing this, and then they're either fired or they have to leave or they go look for jobs elsewhere because it's just not working. Again, it's just it's just bad marriages. They're just they're forcing it on the head coach for whatever reason, and it just doesn't work out. Not to say these other guys aren't great coaches or whatever. It's just yeah. sometimes oil and water just is oil and water. I so offensively, and I will stick with Auburn because I, I do want to get to Kalen DeBoer. We'll get back to that, but. Derek Nix is going to come in. You mentioned 16 years at Ole Miss. This was sort of Hugh Freeze's guy at Ole Miss for a big chunk of that time that he was there, of course. Uh, Robbie Ashford's transferred to South Carolina. Peyton Thorne, who struggled throwing the forward pass, but got him to a bowl game last year. Uh, they Defensively, it's not really that big of a concern for this Auburn team, nor was it really under any of the coaches previously. Um, what, what do you make of the direction of the offense? I mean, the rest of the conference – what Hugh Freeze was doing in 2016 and 2017 was sort of different and new and, and same even with recruiting. And now the rest of the league is very different around Auburn. 
What do you make of the direction of the offense? That's that's clearly the biggest issue that they need to solve. They were in the portal last year trying to convince anybody yeah. who, who with a pulse to come there. And are they just okay with Peyton Thorne being the guy now, or do you, do you expect them to to go hard after a quarterback? And what changes do you expect on the offense? Yeah, I think it's been my biggest head scratcher for them is like, why the hell have they not gone after some of these big quarterbacks that have entered the portal? They've been hesitant to do so. Um, they're just also just not quite spending the type of money I thought they would in the transfer portal with NIL. They could, but they just haven't. And Hugh Freeze has made it pretty clear from the start that he wants to bring high school talent in, develop it, and really build that on the backbone of Auburn football. The issue with that is, is that the game has changed. And when you get hired somewhere, especially at Auburn, where they've been struggling in the roster, which is not great, you got to hit the portal. Because if you hit the portal and you're at Auburn, you're going to be able to get a pretty good quarterback. And there were a lot of them in the portal this year, and they opted to just really not go after any of them. Um, they went after a few, but not many. And now they're, for better or worse, stuck with Peyton Thorne. And I think he's a good quarterback. Yeah. I don't think he's a great quarterback. Certainly don't believe he's an elite quarterback. And they've got to get great receivers around him. And they did not have that last year. They've got great talent coming in. A lot of great freshmen, of course. But again, they're young in a new system. So you're going to be throwing them in the fire. And sometimes when you do that for youngsters, especially a receiver, it 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 could stunt their growth, so to speak, despite being elite talents coming in. Um, so I'm a little confused by that. Why they didn't go out and get a immediate fix beyond Peyton Thorne at quarterback. They should have done it this year. They could have done it this year. They could have gotten someone else. But I think that Hugh, in a lot of ways, is very uh, committed to, you're the guy I chose as a player. I'm going to invest everything in you. I'm going to develop you and make you a better quarterback. Um, because everywhere he's been, that's been his thing. Is like, I get a quarterback, and you might think that they're bad or average, and I'm going to make them look great. Heck, Auburn had a quarterback that they thought was eh, Malik <laughs> Willis, and he went to Liberty, and Hugh Freeze developed him into a great player there. And um, heck, that was one of the pitches Hugh Freeze had would, to, to get the Auburn job. Um, so, um, but still, they, they should have hit the portal and got a quarterback. I, I, that's one of the biggest question marks over the early tenure there of Hugh Freeze yeah. that I have. And what's funny is two, two notes, because I covered Malik Willis here when he was a Tennessee Titan for a couple of years going through camp. And Hugh Freeze famously was like, yeah, I didn't really do anything to Malik Willis. I didn't like coach his throwing motion. I didn't develop his footwork. Like I could see it, by the way, on the practice field for the Titans. But like the system itself worked so well and his athletic ability was so was so great that it worked great at that level. At Liberty, I feel like that's no longer a thing you can do in the SEC. Like you, you can't take a guy, put him into a good system, which certainly Hugh Freeze should have, a guy with great athletic ability and just be like, all right, go make plays. Like, that's it's not Johnny Manziel anymore. Like, you can't – that's not how the SEC works. Yeah, that and, – and also I'll say this. Like, this goes back again to the staffing thing. Hugh Freeze should have been calling the plays from the start, um, and he wasn't. And I know everybody goes, well, was he really – no, he wasn't calling the plays. And I go back to last spring. I, I visited Auburn last spring for a couple of days and met with Philip Montgomery, who's now out as the OC, and Hugh at the time. And Hugh's like, listen, 
I got to come here and just be a CEO type right for right now, recruit, figure out the NIL stuff. I've got to build this thing from the, from the inside out. I can't be worrying about X's and O's all that much as maybe as I would in the past and just be a ball coach. And sure enough, you know, halfway through the season or whatever, I think he realized, ah, crap, yeah. I'm losing games. I can't do it that way. I need to rely on myself. And he's going to go into this second year, recalibrate, and he's going to call the plays. But um, say what you will, that that offense wasn't Hugh Freeze's offense, really, this season. And when you, when you watch it, um, and again, just a weird bad marriage and and i think you can't just like blame people around hugh freeze i think you got to blame hugh freeze as well because i think he went into that with a different approach that that just didn't work right off the bat and i will say this the one thing that did work with that was recruiting he improved the recruiting immediately through the high school ranks and i think that's going to prove dividends for them not necessarily this year but in 25 and 26 um but in the interim it, it hurt it hurt the on-field product and in this day and age where we're firing coaches after two years, um, <laughs> you, you don't have as much time to figure that stuff out. And uh, I think he realized that after year one, like, okay, I'm going to go back to being a ball coach. Yep. Certainly not at Auburn. And in theory, it's a, it's a sound approach, right? To launch, to, to rebuild a program and say, look, we got to start from the inside out foundational pieces, freshman classes, stacking some classes on top of each other. Like in theory, that's all a, a sound approach, but you might be taking his best asset then one of his best assets away from the offense, which is what it sounds like. Uh, I mean, obviously it's, it's what I mean. He said, I wasn't even game planning for the bowl game, which again, I don't care about bowl results, but, but it's just, it is what it is. So, so what the other thing that I noticed and you talk about how the NIL and the collective isn't necessarily doing the job as well as maybe it could at Auburn. Uh, I remember his press conference. It had like the, the logo behind him. Wasn't the Auburn logo. The logo behind him at his introductory press conference was the collective logo, which I, which I find ironic. But that let's go to Alabama then on this front, because I, when I look at Kalen DeBoer and the fit at Alabama, there's things that the boxes that he checks are pretty obvious. He's a great offensive mind. Can't can't argue with the production, the winning every step of his career, everywhere he's ever been. You can't argue with the winning doesn't mean it's going to be great at Alabama, but you can't argue with it to this point on his resume. And. Washington's NIL infrastructure and collective infrastructure was built out as well as anybody's in the Pac-12 and is going to be one of the most modern programs in the Big Ten right away this, as soon as it moves in there, which to me is a reflection of Kalen DeBoer's sort of understanding how to do all of that stuff and how important roster management is. We know Nick Saban didn't care for that, <laughs> and that's a big part of – that's one piece of why maybe t now was the right time for him to walk away. Do, do you see – the, and certainly staff building is another one he's doing a great job of. If you can hire two head football coaches to come be coordinators and assistants, uh, what's the negative? What's the downside for Kalen DeBoer at Alabama outside of just expectations and following a legend? But what what's the box he doesn't check, in your opinion? Uh, just his lack of ties to the South. Um, you know, this is not a direct comparison, but it, it harkens to Brian Harson when he was hired at Auburn. Uh, just down the road a couple of years ago, a few years ago. No connections to the South, recruiting ties non-existent. The big difference between those two is uh, Kalen DeBoer is a much more organized coach and a little bit more willing to listen to people. And, I mean, it's very clear. Uh, you know, I did a big story about all this before he even took the job there and Alabama wasn't even on the radar uh, at the playoff. I talked to a bunch of people at Kalen DeBoer's past and present about – like how he builds a program 
And even then, it was like, this guy sounds philosophically a lot like Nick Saban. And, um, but he just has no ties to the South. So like when the job came open, you know, people were telling me he's like probably on the list of three or four guys, but I was like, but that's not the guy you go after just because of recruiting. But with him, he asks everybody around him, like, what am I doing wrong? What would you do differently? Give me notes and everything. And then even at his press conference, introductory press conference, he's all like, every time I see Nick Saban here, I want to get him to give me one thing that we're doing wrong. Tell me what you saw today that we're doing wrong. What do you need to fix? And so he's a smart guy, and I'm sure one of the first things he should do or hasn't maybe he's already done is sit down with Saban and whoever else at Alabama and go, listen, how the hell do I build a recruiting staff to keep this machine running here and to beat out the other SEC teams and ACC teams for talent around here? What do I do? And one of that staffing, of course, uh, but secondly, it's uh, on-field staff, I should say, but a lot of that support staff and guys you'd bring in there with that. And the people he's kept on board, in addition to the people he's bringing on board, you know, you mentioned, you know, Kane Womack, who's got fantastic ties already in the yep. South. And of course, has a unique ability to connect with Kalen DeBoer because they're best buds and previously worked together at Indiana. There's some good mix there. Um, but also, NIL obviously is more of a factor now. Alabama, the pool, of course, was always Nick Saban. I mean, good God, why who wouldn't want to be playing for the greatest coach of all time? <laughs> or heck, even as Gus Malzahn, who coached against them every year and his rivals against them, told me last week he's the best coach to ever walk the planet. No, I don't I don't disagree. No, it doesn't matter sport. So yeah. And their NIL hasn't been the big thing for them. You it's Nick Saban. And they've got to pump that thing up. And that is holding them back a little bit. And you're seeing all these players in the portal. There's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of them are leaving because Saban's gone. But some of it is, I just know I can get more money somewhere else. And I could probably go win a national championship or have a better shot at it this upcoming year because of the year you're going to be in transition to Alabama. So we just saw recently Caleb Downs, who's the biggest fish to jump in the pond, regardless of position anywhere in the country. Yep. The All-American safety freshman jumping to the portal, and certainly Georgia's the one to watch there because of Traveris Robinson going to Georgia and Georgia's NIL program being so much better and bigger right now than Alabama. And that, it doesn't, listen, I know people just say, okay, so we just need a couple of boosters step in, bump that thing up to $18 million, we'll be okay. It's much more difficult than just asking a couple of guys to throw in money. It's about the infrastructure of it, the way they go about building contracts, obviously having a <laughs> projects for these players to do to compensate. I mean, you're not just throwing money at them. They got to do something in relation to that. Yeah. And it's very difficult to build that all out overnight. And that's, I think the, one of the things Kalen DeBoer is going to have to focus on here this off season, because that is one of the several reasons why they're losing all these players in the portal. And for that matter, losing so many great players, especially in that secondary, my colleague, Mike Rodak, I'd have to pull it up. Uh, put out a, a information today about just how many defensive backs they've lost. That it, it's it's dire uh, well, for know. Alabama, and I never thought I'd say that. And all the best players are the other best players are going to the NFL and will be drafted very highly. So no, there's lots going on there. Texas has also got a, a very high level NIL infrastructure built out. They're taking some players as well. 
this is, you know, <laughs> Texas A and M. Texas A yeah. and M, of course, as we all know, has always had that, and they're creeping out. I mean, they got the number two transfer portal class in the country right now, and number one is Ole Miss. So, uh, <laughs> I, it, welcome, Kalen. I know exactly, but it's so strange to sit here and go, man, life's tough for Alabama. <laughs> well, but again, going back to, and I don't know what 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 you know about the Washington infra infrastructure as well. Part part of why, if I'm an Alabama fan, part of why I like. Kalen DeBoer and trust his ability to do all the things that you're talking about it is clearly he had a focus on that at Washington that that is clearly one of the you can draw a direct through line with that infrastructure and that that back end support staff stuff that you're talking about at Washington to them playing in the national championship like yeah. you can draw the direct comparison so if I'm an Alabama fan I'm excited about his ability to build that out at Alabama that and I'll say this like and this is much more challenging than it was day one when he went to Washington two and a half, three years ago, is that um, he went in there and a lot of the team was about to just leave and enter the portal themselves. Uh, Roma Dunze, for example. I mean, can you imagine Washington without him? And he obviously brought in Michael Penix from the portal himself, but they had to convince a lot of guys just to stick around. NIL was a huge part of that, but also the relationship building the Kalen DeBoer is like almost honest and too loving to a fault at, at, at some points, but that I, West I coast, thought that, that West coast energy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the Midwest energy is that That's Sioux true. Falls energy. If his, but he, he, you know, he comes into Alabama where um, it's a little bit of a different animal, just like being honest and nice to someone's probably not going to convince someone just to stick around. There's a lot of money. And then just, yeah. I, this is a business now and I've got to go do a, make a business decision, not just money wise, but also NFL stuff. And also I want to win a championship right away. Yeah. Do I feel comfortable being able to do that right away here? But, um, you know, I, I thought that, uh, the him, we say hemorrhaging, uh, with Alabama right now, I thought it would be slower than what it is, but I'll still say this. I don't think it's as drastic of a mass exodus as maybe some people were expecting. Um, you know, as of last check, there were 26 Alabama players in the portal or who had entered the portal, but I believe only seven or eight of them have left since Saban, yeah, uh, seven retired. So this isn't um, like, oh, Saban retired and two days later, 15 players are in the portal. It hasn't been that. It's been a slower trickle. But again, it's not just trickles. It's big, giant drops of yep. rain. And, yep. and Caleb Downs, of course, being the biggest one. Could could you argue that last that with Kalen DeBoer running the offense and Kane Womack calling the defense, that Alabama went from league average play calling last year best case scenario with Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele or whoever it was that was eventually calling defense uh yeah it, whoever was calling the defense it, <laughs> there was a debate there I guess at the end of the year but let's just say hypothetically play calling league average let's say maybe even slightly below in the SEC that they are now among the better teams from a play calling standpoint on Saturdays with Womack and and DeBoer and whoever else might be on the offensive staff Oh yeah, and Ryan Grubb's going to call the plays. Uh, who is at Washington? I love Grubb. I mean, Grubb. When you start dissecting and looking at this stuff and all the formations he throws oh. at people, it's it's fantastic stuff. Um, and most definitely, that's an improvement over Tommy Reese. And I think Tommy Reese is a really good coach. Um, Kane Womack, go look at the uh, the analytics, the improvements they make. They've made it at South Alabama with that roster when it comes to defense. 
he's he's better than what Kevin Steele was here the last couple of years of his career. And of course, T Rob, you know, uh, fitting into that as well. So, yeah, this is definitely one of the top half uh, play callers in the SEC. Again, you sit there and you kind of hesitate. You go, I know what they can do elsewhere. Let's see what they can do with this Alabama product and the SEC and everything. But as far as just like sitting down at a chalkboard and running, I say chalkboard. What am I, <laughs> 75 years old? Uh, you re- you've worked for newspapers too, Brandon. <laughs> oh, man. I miss I miss them so much. I was actually, anyway. I was actually no, looking no, no. for an old newspaper. I was looking for an old newspaper uh, uh, box uh, that you would see on the street curb. Trying to buy, I was trying to buy one. Uh, I, dude, Christmas. total aside here, but we were cleaning out. My wife and I were cleaning out my my in laws uh, like like bonus room attic that's just filled with stuff, you know. And yeah. there, and we open up this Manila folder, we pull it out, and it's the Tennessean from 1998, and it just says you know champions on it. And it's like he had he had stored it this really perfectly crisp newspaper cover of the Tennessee and about Tennessee's national championship in 98. And it was just yeah. like in an envelope. It's like, that should be under glass somewhere. Cause newspapers are, are gone. Man. Nothing, nothing will ever replace that being mm-hmm. able to, and I used to do that as a kid. I used to take the newspaper clippings and stuff and just post them up raw on my wall with thumbtacks oh, yeah. and stuff. I'm and speaking of Tennessee. I'm an Arkansas guy. So when Arkansas got their revenge against Tennessee in 1999 yeah. and took the goalpost down and drove, took him down to Dixon street. <laughs> uh, I took the front page of the Northwest Arkansas times and put it up on my wall. And I got the work for the Northwest Arkansas times later in my career, which was like a dream. That's anyway, cool. I, that's cool. I, no, I that's cool. Newspapers. So speaking of evolution, um, and this kind of speaks to what Kalen DeBoer has to do, what Hugh freeze has to do, but also what Lake Kiffin is trying to do at Ole Miss. Uh, Eli Drinkowitz is, if there wasn't a rivalry with Oklahoma uh, in the past because Oklahoma dominated that rivalry, Eway Drinkwitz is doing his best to create one um, in the SEC through some of this stuff as well. What I'm curious about with, with you is, and this speaks to Hugh Freeze wanting to kind of build from recruiting. I, I still don't know if the portal, the new rules, NIL, collective, all these things that we're t- we talk about all the time, I, I think it can get teams into the playoff. I think Ole Miss is clearly going for it, right? Um, if Nico is great at Tennessee, they're, they're going for it. Like these teams can go for it. Now, Tennessee's a little different. They've normally recruited a higher level routinely over time than maybe Ole Miss or Missouri. But do you think it closes the gap enough that these teams can win two or three games in the playoff? Or, or is this just tricking teams into thinking that they've got a chance? It does feel like Alabama's talent has been spread out, even with Saban coaching the last yes. few years. So do you think that 5% of spread of talent and the portal and all these things actually does give these other programs opportunities to compete for national championships and not just playoff berths? You know, also, you know, I'll say this, just going back even further, even before the portal really became a thing because of immediate, immediate eligibility, now multi-time transfers being immediately eligible. Texas A&M was almost like sucking up more talent away from Alabama as well, from high school recruiting in those last three, yeah. those three yeah. recruiting classes. So... Um, but we'll see. That's the thing. I, I know people want a definitive answer to that, but we'll see because we haven't seen a 12 team playoff yet, what that's going to look like. But I will say that there is a quote unquote blueprint right now to show that you could be a team that gets to the national championship game. And that's by bringing in some transfers, but more importantly, keeping the kids you have on your team this year on the roster who might be considering one transferring. But more importantly, going to the NFL, Washington was able to convince kids to come back. Michigan was able to convince the kids to come back, and they met in the national championship this year. That's true. 
Who's doing that this year? Oregon's doing it. <laughs> Oregon's doing it. Yeah. And Ohio State is doing it. Ohio State, I think, has had the best offseason of any program right now as far as building toward next year. Ohio State is a playoff team, obviously, next year to me, but is built to win a national championship next year because they got really good veterans on there that aren't just veterans like a Washington had or a Michigan had, but they're like NFL first guys. two yeah. round NFL guys. Yeah. Ole Miss might have the best transfer class coming in and they're going all in on this year. Let's win a championship. But is that all those hired guns, so to speak, coming in immediately and just gelling and then they become a championship team overnight? Probably a playoff team, but I don't I don't know if that holds together where they're able to, you know, when you're out there on the field and just knowing the little intricacies of how your receiver runs this route or whatever. I mean, good God, just look at I always look back at that that Rose Bowl between Michigan and Alabama and JJ McCarthy's pass there near the sideline that somehow gets tipped. Yeah. But it's just yeah. it deflects up and the pass is a little bit higher. And that receiver guarantee you if that was his first year playing with McCarthy as a transfer or whatever and hadn't really caught passes with him all that much then he probably misses it but he got it and then Michigan's up winning the game so there's a lot of little just intangible things that you cannot necessarily identify yeah. that goes into all this but I think that the the way you could kind of negate that or not negate it but how to define the intangibles is by simply and most difficult of all, simple and difficult, keeping <laughs> your veteran players on yeah. the roster who can go to the NFL and make millions of dollars right now if they choose to. I I'm, I might have put Ole Miss in that category and then Judkins leaves to go to Ohio State. Perfect. A, a very refined understanding of Big Ten football from an SEC running back, by the way, post announcing his tra transfer minutes after Michigan wins the national championship. I find that to be fantastic. But I, again, one, I, one minute, one minute, one minute, I'm told. That's right. right. That's, that's what right. I was told because uh, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I saw Ryan Day the very oh, next yeah. day yeah. after yeah. that. There's no way that beard is authentically colored. Anyway, um, I, I think what's what's interesting to me uh, about like I, my theory on this is that it's going to close the gap some, but that you still cannot and you can fill in voids with the portal. Certainly quarterback is is obviously something you can fill with the portal. Not necessarily the first year you need it you, like Joe Burrow year two. Cam Newton's really the only one that did it like year one. And that was a different yeah. brand of football, different type of players, special one of one type of guy. But. Like I, I think Ole Miss and Missouri and Tennessee and these teams can get to the playoff. I, I think you still need to have, like as Lane Kiffin said to us out of his own mouth, I don't have enough five stars. I think they can win a game, maybe win two games, but winning four games in the playoff without recruiting in the top ten or twelve, I, I, I still don't know if that's feasible. I mean, you mentioned Ohio State, like I could see Georgia and Ohio State and A and M and Alabama doing this, but that's because they're in the top ten and recruiting all the time, and so I, I don't know my. My theory is we're tricking ourselves into a more competitive sport when in the end it's still just going to be, you know, Bama versus Georgia or Ohio State versus Clemson or whoever it is this, you know, Texas versus USC, whatever it might be. Probably so, because I think we were tricking ourselves into believing that 10 years ago when we went to a 14 playoff. And what happened? It's the same three teams uh, winning the championship over and over and over again. But I will say this. I do think that the days of uh, 
quote unquote dynasties is is yeah. over. The most you're going to see, I mean, obviously we haven't seen a three time champ. I think it'd be a stretch to even see a back to back champ here in the next five years as the sport kind of meanders and swerves across the road and figures out exactly <laughs> what their bearings are and how you how you need to build a roster these days. These days, how you keep it together, how you keep a coaching staff together what the big two looks like. Is there an, uh, an opportunity for a big 12 team or even an ACC team to win the national championship and why, how did they do it? Why did they do it? Yeah. But again, it all, it all comes down to high school recruiting. Uh, as much as we look, fall in love with the portal and the immediacy of it, it's high school recruiting and development. Depth. It's one to 85. Um, all right. Uh, I'll let you go with this. You're obviously very gracious with your time. We do appreciate you. Uh, Alabama, Texas, and Georgia are going to be atop every preseason ranking in the SEC and maybe even the top 25s. Uh, as we are working together, we, as we are working at Athlon to even begin this process very early, in the SEC, uh, Ole Miss, Missouri, LSU, A&M, Tennessee, if I'm missing somebody, throw somebody in there. Who, who are the teams in that group that you love to, to challenge? Ole Miss, uh, of course. And because of the pieces they're bringing in, but also just Jackson Dart coming back. I think that's huge for them at quarterback and the development he's made. Um, and plus, listen, that Ole Miss schedule is conducive. Like an and just yes, an above average Ole Miss team should start off five and zero or six and zero. And this is not an above average team. It's a great team, maybe the best team ever put on paper in Ole Miss history. Um, they should win ten games next year. I think anything under ten wins next year would be a disappointment for them. Uh, and for the fan base there. Um, I'm not completely sold on Mizzou next year going in with the schedule and some of the guys they've got coming back and the staffers they've they've had leave. I think Blake Baker is a fantastic coordinator. And then losing Kevin Peoples, he's just a veteran defensive line coach, and that was really their strength up front this year. That I think that could be a hit for them. Um, Tennessee, I think Tennessee's on the rise this year. Um, I do with Nico, uh, and the pieces they've got in, but to me, it's Ole Miss and, um, you know, and maybe Texas A&M could be sneaky. I say sneaky. Good. They could probably win nine games next year. And that'd be seen as a massive success considering what's happened the last two years, but they also have the type of talent on that roster where they could, and maybe not should, but they could win nine yeah. games. So that those are my three, but Ole Miss by far, I think is far and away okay. above the pack. Probably should have thrown Oklahoma in there as well. Brandon Marcello, National College Football Reporter for 24-7 Sports. Uh, always a pleasure talking with you, man. Great to see you. Uh, and try to enjoy the offseason. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Uh, and uh, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Thank you.